Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Let's get ready to rumble! Y'all ready for this? Hello everybody, welcome. It is the Anvil Index Face of Fan Reaction. I'm your host Kay, as always, coming to you after the game between Liverpool and Bournemouth. As usual, I have our quite regular Bournemouth fan with us already at all departments on Twitter. A very warm welcome back to Michael. How are you, Mike? Yeah, I'm good, apart from the result, obviously, but um, yeah, I had a good day in Liverpool yesterday, so I can't complain. Oh, nice. That's very cool. And uh, somebody who's been a regular quite recently, but it is a Liverpool fan and writer, Tadiwa Chanakira. How are you, Tadiwa? Yeah, I'm good. And you, Kay? Uh, all good. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. As, as I said to you guys, um, waiting for the weekend to end to get into work. I'm very excited about that. That's going to be great. But <laughs> let's, <laughs> we've got a part to do first. So let's try and get through that. Um, so I'll start with the lineups, Michael. For you guys, there were a couple of changes. Uh, more sort of keeping the, the, the squad fresh or, or was it more a tactical change? Um, well, Eddie brought Ive back in, Jordan Ive, ex of, uh, ex of Liverpool, obviously. Um, for Mark Pugh, Eddie said that Ive was ill last week, uh, when he didn't play against Crystal Palace. He wasn't on the bench, wasn't in the squad. Um, this is the second time I've been ill in the past six weeks. Uh, the first time, uh, we were playing at home. I forget who it was, but, I was late. I was with my son. That they hadn't quite kicked off, and we saw him pulling up in his Lamborghini. He's 22, remember? And he's <laughs> driving around this really expensive car, and it made a lot of noise. And he looked fine. Um, subsequently, I heard a rumor, and you don't know how much truth there is in this, that he was not ill. He'd been out at the night before the game, or you know, when, when, when there was a curfew, and that's why Eddie had left him out of the squad that day. So whether this time he was genuinely ill or not, I don't know. But anyway, Eddie put him back in. I think he was hoping that. The return to Anfield would would motivate him. Didn't really work out. And uh, Defoe came in for Callum Wilson. We've been struggling really up front. We haven't had anybody who's reached anywhere near double figures, I don't think, yet. Um, Defoe's got about four. Wilson's got, I think, six or seven, same as Josh King. Um, and he's been chopping and changing the forwards. Uh, so he brought, he brought Jermaine Defoe in yesterday. I think that probably was tactical. He sort of played... A kind of five across the back, um, yeah, like a three, a sort of three-five mm-hmm. sort of system, and it, it it didn't really work. But I suppose we'll come on and talk and talk about that. And at the moment, we're not really firing up front, but um, luckily we've got we've got just about enough points, I think, to uh, to stick around for another year. Mm. No, just to pick you up on that point, Michael. Uh, 
that's quite interesting what you say. I mean, is that uh, is that a player problem? Because the the system does seem to be one that sort of creates a lot of chances. It, it, is this something that you've seen over sort of the medium term, or or something that's only been recently about the sort of lack of goals? I think it's from what I can see, it's Eddie trying to accommodate the players that he's got, but maybe not playing them in their best position. So Josh King scored over 15 goals last season. Um, and it, most of those goals were scored after Christmas when he was given a run in the team as the out-and-out forward. Um, he hasn't really played him in that position this year because he's had to accommodate Defoe and Wilson as well. We've got another sort of up-and-coming prospect, Lise Mousset. And um, so King's often played as the kind of number 10 role. So he hasn't really been able to... I don't think he does his best work in that position. Um, Defoe needs the ball through to him along the ground. He's never going to... Um, be powerful enough in the air as proved with Lovren and um, and Van Dyke yesterday, and and yeah, just it, I think it's it's more to do with the um, trying to fit the players that he's got and keep them happy and in the team, uh, and it's not really working. I think I I would rather we went with with well if I if I was picking the team and I'm not, and Eddie obviously knows a lot more about football than I do. I'd rather we had Josh King up front as the out and out forward. And then, you know, everybody else could just fit in, fit in around that. It worked well last season. We haven't really done it this season. And I think it's shown in our, uh, in our, lack, of, our lack of goals amongst the forwards. Interesting, yeah. For you to do uh, Liverpool, not so much a question of the lineup, just a couple of raised eyebrows that we did sort of play the best full-strength team that we had. Were you a bit surprised by that? Um, yeah, I was quite surprised considering how busier schedule we've had over the last two weeks but I think um, in Klopp's thinking he was seeing that we do have sort of a seven day break in between this game and our next game and um, we also aren't sure of top top four at the moment um, it's obviously something that we're likely looking to get but it's not it's not conclusive yet so I think it was the right call to try and put in as strong a side as we can if we can secure top four before um, sort of the semi-finals of the Champions League, then that puts us in a lot more favourable position heading into those semi-finals. So I think the, the the team that was chosen, it didn't look like anyone was at risk of injury. So it didn't look like he was play, he was um, you know straining any of the players that he chose too much. Obviously, there were a few concerns with regard to. Salah, considering he he had a knock prior to the City game, but he looked to be um, to have gotten rid of that sort of hamstring groin injury that that have been plaguing him over the last uh, few couple of weeks. And then the other concern was Roberto Firmino, who um, he had a bit of a neck problem during the week after the the City game, but it seems like he was able to shrug that off um, in order to play this game. Um, yeah, I think I think Klopp is trying to just secure top four as soon as he can, and and then try and focus on on the Champions League after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to the game, and maybe we'll do it this way, Michael. Just a reaction to the to the result itself. What did you feel about Bournemouth's approach to the to the game in general? Um, you know, it seemed to be a little bit of. Um, uh, like you said, just just be a little bit more defensive and keep, and keep it t- as tight as you possibly could. What did you think about that? Was it for you a, a sort of good defensive performance? Um, 
You know, there were, I don't know how many real saves they were sort of for Begovic to make, uh, during much of the game. And I mean, especially in the first half, we saw Cook and Ake just, you know, doing, doing sort of really well. But that was from, sort of from my perspective. How did it look for you? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you've said. We came to defend, to keep the score down. I think going in 1-0 at half time, we probably considered it, you know, things could have been a lot worse. Um, and as you said, I mean, Ake and Cook, were outstanding yesterday, really. I mean, we conceded three goals, uh, but their performance, I thought, was fantastic. I mean, you, you've got those three up front, and I mean, when, when you played us here in December, you had, you had Coutinho as well, and it's just so many weapons that you've got, and it's so difficult for our defenders to to combat that. But I thought overall they did that they did quite well. Um, I think it was largely the right thing to do to, you know, you're absolutely at the top of your game at the moment. You've had those fantastic results against Man City. Your confidence must be sky high. There's always the chance that you get a game, you know, against a club like Bournemouth and it can be a, a banana skin. You can slip up, maybe it mm. only be a draw. But I think I think from most people looking at that game before it kicked off, no one would have been surprised by what happened and the, and the way that it went. I think if we'd have gone... Uh, a little bit more attacking. We may have got a goal, but we may have conceded more goals as well. We went a bit more. Uh, we went we went for it a bit more in the second half when Wilson and Mousset came on, but um, even then we didn't manage to score. Uh, Dan Gosling had one, which we really should have put away. It was probably the best chance, well, one of the only chances we had. Um, yeah, and Begovic, I thought I thought he had a good afternoon. I thought he played well in goal, mm. and he had a lot to do, and he wasn't really at fault for any of the goals. The first one he made a a good save and then was unlucky that it just dropped straight to Mane and well the others Trent Alexander-Arnold's ball for the second goal was was just amazing it landed right on Salah's head and he connected with it superbly and just put it in the one place Begovic couldn't get to it and then the third one it just went through Simon Francis' legs and the goalkeeper was unsighted so yeah I mean I think <laughs> from our point of view it, it was uh, a fair result um, apart from I would Felt a little twinge of regret that we conceded the third goal because two nil doesn't look quite like a as much of a thrashing as three nil. But overall, it was um it was kind of what I expected. You go to games like that as a Bournemouth fan with hope rather than expectation, and occasionally it works out. Earlier in uh, in January, we beat Chelsea three nil away, but um that doesn't happen every week. And uh, yeah, you're like I said, you're playing so well, and it it, it just it just continued yesterday. Yeah, to do I mean. Listening to Michael, there, it did. We've had these games in the past. There have been banana skins, and I will ask this of, of in a different question. But yesterday, it just seemed uh, Liverpool were quite focused on the task at hand, and they just sort of went about their business in such a almost systemic manner. They, they, you know, a systematic way, not not systemic, more systematic. Just grinding things down, going forward, moving step by step to try and get things done. It was. Um, it was quite an impressive performance, really. Yeah, I thought the, the players executed the game plan quite well. And if you look at um, sort of our home form, our home form in general, um, I think it's over a year now since we've lost at Anfield in the Premier League. So there is that bit of confidence um, that comes with playing at Anfield, regardless of who we're playing. And then on top of that, obviously, the players would have been quite... Um, quite excited to play again after that City victory. So unfortunately for Bournemouth, they kind of caught us at the wrong time, so to speak. Um, Mm. They were playing against a bunch of players that were full of confidence. 
that it, it sort of felt like we had a, a sense of arrogance about us, not, not in a disrespectful way, but sort of as we had an assurance of what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. And um, there wasn't really much second guessing. There wasn't really mu- uh, too much, um, you know, holding the ball for too long, trying to look for passes. Everything was sort of moving quite fluidly. And obviously with Bournemouth being a team that likes to play football as well, I think that also then gives our players a lot of encouragement in in, in how we play our football on the ground. Um, I do think, because um, Bournemouth obviously as... Uh, uh, as they came out, it, it was meant to be sort of like a three-five-two formation, but it tended it ended up being sort of like a, a five at the back quite a lot because um, this was one of the first times we really got to see the use of the fullbacks that Klopp is famous for in Dortmund. In that both fullbacks were quite attacking. Um, usually, we've seen in the past this season that um, we've liked to put if we put Gomez sort of on the right back position he tends to drop off a little bit and it becomes sort of like a back a back three. It's sort of like a lopsided um, 4-3-3, so to speak, where and Andy Robertson has the license to go forward. Gomez sort of hangs back a little bit. But with, with having both Alexander-Arnold and, Go- and uh, Robertson on either flank, um, it really allowed us to push as, as far forward as we possibly could. And unfortunately for Bournemouth, I think... When we push that high, and you can see it's part of the way Klopp wants to play in that he's going to press you quite high up the pitch. So their centre-backs, their goalkeepers, their holding midfielder is going to feel a lot of pressure. And that pressure then tends to force teams to play the ball, sort of direct long balls. And if you're doing that without a, a specific game plan, then it means you're just lobbing the ball forward and you're allowing uh, Virgil van Dijk and Dejan Lovren to, to sort of challenge for headers, which is probably Dejan Lovren's strong suit of, of all the, the bad attributes that some people say he has. Um, heading is not one of them. I think he, he's quite a really good and solid and brave player when it comes to heading the ball. And then you've got Virgil van Dijk, who is in, in the top five percentile of heading accuracy and successful aerial duels in the Premier League. So you can see the game plan in full effect in that they're pressing at the front. You don't have an escape. So what do you do? You just kick the ball as far away as possible. And if you don't kick it with the game plan in mind, then it's just being headed back by those two big center backs at the back. And it sort of just starts the cycle again. Um, Perhaps, um, as, as has been mentioned earlier, instead of having Jermaine Defoe there, because obviously he is, uh, uh, slightly a bit older, having Josh King up there would have helped them and perhaps not necessarily hitting the ball just straight down the middle. They needed to maybe look at hitting it into the channels, those spaces that had been left by Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold when they're going forward. Then you sort of, if you aim sort of that uh, our right-hand side, their left-hand side, and you sort of bringing Dejan Lovren towards the right-back position away from that centre then you've got Josh King one-on-one with him. I think that would have been a more fruitful game plan for them. But uh, in terms of us, um, with, with them having three at the back, it allowed our front three to match up three versus three against them to isolate some of their defenders, which which played into our hands. Yeah, yeah, they did. So speaking about that, Michael, you mentioned Bournemouth with the five basically in defense from the beginning. It sort of gave up the midfield where, you know, particularly we saw Henderson 
um, sort of tweak passes and, and ping them here and there, or Juni Vinaldum was allowed to sort of control the midfield a little bit more. Do, do you think it would, you know, I, I sort of understand what Eddie was trying to do there, and, and maybe he just sort of wanted to give up that control of the midfield, which seems an unbornmouth thing to do, but maybe to give that up because if you look at Liverpool's midfield, maybe there's not that much that can hurt you relative to, you know, other teams who are supposed to be in this, uh, in, in this bracket, sort of in the top six and, and that kind of thing. Do, do you think it would have been a bit better? And I, I can't remember the game against Chelsea for you guys, but I, I was pretty sure you guys also swamped the midfield then. You know, looking at Liverpool's midfield attributes, do, do you think that that might have been, um, something that you would have liked to see more from Eddie, just to maybe put a couple of bodies in the midfield, at least have a four versus three sort of overload there? Yeah, definitely. I think in a game like that, away at Anfield, as I said earlier, one up front and then, well, definitely three central midfielders. We had Dan Gosling and Lewis Cook and they put in a shift. I mean, Cook was taken off after, I think, about 75 minutes and he covered nearly 10 kilometres, which I read somewhere was the second most in the Premier League this season in any game. And he he only played, you know, he didn't, didn't play the entire game. But we needed somebody else in there. Harry Arter has been a fixture in our midfield for the last four or five seasons. But he's fallen out of favour. Something's happened and he's not even making the matchday squad at the moment. And he hasn't done for a while. He's the kind of terrier-like midfielder that we needed in there. Uh, He had Andrew Sermon on the bench as well, who did come on for Cook. But obviously that still just left him and Gosling in midfield. But yeah, definitely, I think we could have done an extra body in midfield. Um, I think that every time the ball was coming out, as, as Tadda said, it was just coming back all the time. We were kind of, I don't think we were just booting it forwards and hoping for the best, but a lot of the times we were kind of making these clearances with not really enough accuracy uh, and then there weren't enough bodies sort of up by the halfway line to to get the ball down and start to play it. Most of the time it was coming back immediately. We, We were losing it one way or another and another body in there would have helped that. And we just, we just surrendered the midfield. I mean, Henderson had too much time on the ball for large parts of the game and obviously you've got less less pressure on the ball you've got more time to pick your passes and 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 that hurts and at the back I mean, he essentially played Ake Steve Cook and Simon Francis as the as the three central defenders in that system and um and as was just mentioned it it was that's fine <laughs> against some teams but when you've got three really um, proficient and, um, and and hot to handle players in your uh, that you've got with with Firmino and Mane and Salah. I mean, putting go one one against one on those, and then you having the having the, the midfield come up and support. It was it was um yeah, it was it, it was tough to handle all day. Yeah, yeah, no, that, for sure. Did you do you think? You know, I'm just looking at that, and there are quite a lot of teams who might who might want to do that to Liverpool, sort of. Keep the back quite tight and almost give up the midfield. Given our, given the attributes of our, you know, current midfield, do you think that would that kind of potential setup, and I'm especially looking towards next season now, do you think that Liverpool will need like a creative specialist uh, more longer term to be able to, you know, more efficiently exploit those kind of spaces? Um, it will be interesting to see how our club handles that. I think um, one thing that he did in once. Coutinho left is he's actually given that role to Sadio Mane and I think that mm. has a lot to do with uh, people's criticism of, of his game of late well or closer towards January than closer to now where 
I suppose everyone's acknowledging that he actually is playing well. Um, you can see he's sort of more the creator of the team now. And it, it's not something that he was used to last season. It's not something that a lot of the fans were used to or any of us were used to seeing from him last season. And I suppose that's where the criticism came of he wasn't the explosive sort of winger we were expecting him to be this season. But he seems to have taken to that role quite well. And given that he's been allowed this six months sort of to to bed into that new responsibility that he has, it will be interesting to see how he's able to hit the ground running next season if he continues to be the creative player in the team. Now, I don't know if whether it's because Coutinho's gone, so someone in the team needed to be it, and Klopp identified money for this short period of time, and then he's going to have a replacement in mind, or this is going to be the way we play moving forward. But I'd imagine that Mane would have a similar role in he he sort of has the freedom to to move if you if you take if you split the 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 field in half so to speak that left hand side of the pitch he has the freedom to roam around anywhere on that side and having Andy Robertson that's a willing uh, a, a willing runner allows us to still have the width on that side so it doesn't necessarily cramp out to the left hand side um and then if you look at maybe the likes of Naby Keita coming in, that's also someone that's quite quite heavy in the creative um, attributes of the game. So there are going to be players, Oxley chamberlain he's also coming into his own as a creative force, well, a lot more than he was at Arsenal. So there are players that that would be sort of the creators, but I think it's a very, very different role to the one we're expecting and the one we've been used to because a lot of people have been used to the Coutinho creator type role. And I don't think mm. Coutinho ever was a Klopp player. Um, it, it was more a sense of I've got this really, really good player who's potentially on the brink of becoming like a world-class player. I'm not going to put him on the bench, you know what I mean? I'm going to utilize him somehow in the system I'm playing. So I think it will be more of a direct um, ball carrier as a creator, opposed to maybe the, the the more tricky and flair of Coutinho, but more less step overs, maybe less back heels and flicks, but will be still the incisive passing, the direct passing. Um, you can see we've had to use our centre back backs a lot this season in getting the ball from the back all the way to our strikers, and not necessarily high on the pitch, but those low driven passes on the ground. Could then that responsibility could actually then be transferred to let's say a navigator who's capable of those type of things? Mm-hmm. Now that's going to be really interesting. Let's move on to the goals guys now again. And Michael, I mean you've already talked about this a little bit in your previous answers, but there are a couple of Bournemouth fans who were sort of pointing fingers at Begovic for at least the first and second goal, saying there was you know a little bit of a question mark over his decisions and um, and and, ha- and why he chose to do with them. Uh, do you agree with them and do you have any complaints really defensively about Bournemouth for the three goals? I think the first goal, the ball came in, I think Mane headed it and Begovic got down and made it, what I thought was a really good save. And it, when I saw it live, I thought it was a good save. Well, I could see what was going to happen. And then when I watched it today, I, I sort of concurred with my previous opinion that, you know, he did a good job. Uh, I think it was a bit harsh to say he should have held it. It was it was close to him and he had to get down and, and, and he parried it away. And sometimes keepers get criticised because they should push the ball away from the goal and all that sort of thing. I tend to sympathise 
with goalies a bit more now because my son's a budding goalkeeper and <laughs> we're uh, <laughs> we're quite often um, uh, speaking to his goalkeeping coach about the way the way keepers get treated in in the football media and how you know their mm. their job is really difficult and um, and it's it's made to sound like it's really easy. Um, and then he, he, well, he, you know, he, he made that save and well, the ball went out to Marnie and then there was nothing he could do then. And, and it, it was one nil. The second one, as I said earlier, the, the ball in from, from Alexander Arnold was, it, it, he couldn't have put in a better ball into the box. It went straight over, I think, Nathan Ake's head and, and straight on to, to Salah's head, who then did a fantastic job, sort of directed it with the top of his head over Begovic. Begovic, yeah, there's been some talk that, well, he was off his line, but I don't think he can be too severely criticised for that because um, it was the quality of the ball and the quality of, of, of Salah's connection with the ball that led to the goal. I think if if he had been on his line in that exact spot, he would have got to the ball, but otherwise he couldn't get to it. Um, the third one I thought was... Uh, was Simon Francis was a little bit undone by Firmino and then he just put it through his legs and you can see that there's a camera behind the goal it was down the other end it was, it was at the, the cop end we were obviously at the Anfield Road end but you can see on the footage that from the camera behind the goal that Begovic he goes down late and he's nowhere near the ball and I think that's because he couldn't see the ball so I think it's probably a bit a bit harsh to criticise him for that one as well um, so overall, I don't put too many, I don't put any of those goals down to the goalkeeper. Um, I think that I don't really think any of the goals. You could probably criticise our defence for the first one. Maybe Steve Cook should have got a bit closer to Mane. Uh, he kind of let him get to the ball. The second one, I've got no complaints to that. Nathan Ake has been our best defender by miles this season. Our best player. He's gonna he's gonna clean up in all the Player of the Year awards um, and. Um, he just—it was just impossible to, to to stop that because of the quality of the delivery, and and the third one that would probably be the most questionable. But I mean, I don't like to point the finger, but I would say that was more Simon Francis. It's more culpable for that than uh, than Asmir Begovic. Yeah, no, I tend to agree, especially for that second goal, uh, where the, most of the criticisms are coming from. I I sort of feel sort of ninety times out of a hundred, maybe the ball will maybe go over Salah's head. You know, it's, if, if it's going to clear Ake, it's going to clear Salah. You, you have to be thinking as a goalkeeper. Then you'd sort of want your goalkeeper a little bit off the line to be able to almost sweep or, or close down the angle or whatever. Like I, I, but I must say, for all the three goals, I, I didn't think there was anything really wrong with, with what Begovic did. I actually thought he had a really good game. Um, Tadiwa, from our perspective, from Liverpool perspective, all the, the holy triumvirate, <laughs> I suppose we could call them, scoring yesterday but it was a lot of hard work and had to employ a lot of invention actually eventually to to be able to get those goals what was your opinion maybe you can start on the second goal because i was having a, a bit of a discussion with my dad earlier today uh, debating which was the more which was the more inventive part of the second goal the cross of the header so maybe you could start with that do me a favor um yeah sure i think First and foremost, all, all credit has to go to uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold because it, it's not just the execution of the pass, but even the imagination to have that that pass in mind um, is something to behold, especially for a 19-year-old. 
you're expecting a young player in a team to sort of look for the safe passes. And quite a few times this season, he's willing to be, you know, to, to try some of these more expansive passes. And, and he's been pulling off quite a few of them. So all the credit to him. Um, I think, um, as, as Michael had mentioned, as you had mentioned, with regards to Begovic, I don't think there's much that he did wrong there. If you, if you look at the way the ball is coming in, Begovic sort of has to come off his line a little bit. Otherwise, there really isn't a reason for Salah to sort of head that first time. He's got the speed. He's got the pace. He would then be allowed to sort of run onto that, let it bounce, bounce and then just sort of tap it into the net if, if the keeper stays on his line. And then... There are times in games, I, I know people try to overanalyze, and you see a lot of goals that pundits start to draw the circles and the, you know, the, 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 the boxes on where this player needs to be, all the arrows and everything. There's some goals where you just have to hold your hand up and say that was a good goal. You know what I mean? Not every goal is a defensive error. Not every goal is the keeper's fault. Um, I think it's an inch perfect pass, one, you know, one yard too short. Aka heads it away, one yard too long, maybe Begovic is collecting that. So it's an inch perfect pass. And for Salah in that situation, it it as a striker in that situation, you sort of you have an idea where the keeper is. And as you can see, as he's about to head the ball, um, there's a bit of instinct and then there's also a bit of awareness in that this is the type of ball that a keeper should be coming off his line for, looking to close the space in case it bounces. So you do have the sort of license to try and lift it over him. And it's it's then down to the, the 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 quality of the player himself. You know, he's not the tallest player, but he has scored quite a few headers um this season, which is quite surprising. But he he heads it in a way that allows it to have the dips come down within the goals. Yeah, and maybe we can we can go back towards the the first goal. Um I think it 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 was instinctive of of the new role that Mane is playing in sort of that that free role to roam within that that front three, in the sense that the space he he runs into to to get the initial header, arguably is the space that Firmino would be or where traditional number nine would be. So you also have to give credit to Firmino and all of the front three in having the awareness of the fluidity of each other. Because um, as as I say, in in most teams, uh, Sadio Mane would have probably 99% of the time been running into whoever would have been standing there as the number nine. Because as the number nine, you're meant to be in the middle of the goal, uh, looking to head that in. So he has the wherewithal to see that the space has been created by Firmino sort of dropping out of that, that position. And I think that's what caused a bit of the confusion in in him having so much space in the box because you wouldn't expect him to be there. He does well to get the, the header on target. He does well to keep the header down as well, which is what led to Begovic trying to sort of, you know, he had to get down pretty fast. He got a good hand to it. And at that point in time, I think the keeper's sort of re- trying to rely on his defenders to help him out a little bit there, be the first to react and clear the ball away. But credit to Mane, he was the first one to react um, and he sure as hell made made sure that there wasn't going to be a second opportunity for them to to deny him a goal because he he sort of put his foot through that one. So that that was that was good to see. And then finally, the third goal. Um, 
is is something that we we've, we've seen quite regularly from Oxley Chamberlain in terms of being that transitional ball carrier for Liverpool at the moment. And it's I, I suppose it's, it's why he's wanted to play in midfield for so long. He does have that drive. He does have that directness with his football, you know. Um, and he he, do, he does a lot of his football at pace, which is good to see. He still has the control and the wherewithal. There are a few times in the game maybe where he made the wrong pass in those situations where Liverpool on the counter-attack, he's on the ball, and then you have the front three sort of making runs off him. And then now it's on him to now pick the right pass and or, or shoot if, mm. if the defenders are dropping off him, which, which he did do a couple of times. And this time he plays Firmino on the left-hand side. And um, credit to Firmino, he cuts inside and... I think, um, as Michael was mentioning earlier, in terms of Begovic, arguably maybe uh, a bit slow to get to that. I think it's because one, if he was unsighted, because the ball does go through through the legs of the defender, and then also from that position, with the way Firmino has shaped his body, that's typical Thierry Henry type far post, bend it into the far post um, type of finish. And at the last second, he just closes his foot to go for the near post. So I think there might have been some slight hesitation there. In It looks like it's going far post, and then it gets drilled near post. It's a bit hard to now then try and get down as quickly as you can at near post. So credit to Firmino. I, I think he did give him the eyes a little bit there. Mm. Michael, again, again from a couple of Bournemouth fans, there was a, a sort of a question of, the energy levels of the game. I know you guys came on very well later in the game and had some um, really good possession a little bit later in the game. Uh, did you think there was anything wrong with the actual energy levels from from your normal viewing? Um, you know, especially given how good the fitness is of Bournemouth, we know that they finished strongly. They've scored the most late goals, I should say, in the Premier League. Um, but uh, but did you have any problem with the with the energy levels and uh, are you guys just saving it for United? <laughs> I hope so. Because we'd be okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Eddie said after the game that he didn't think enough of the players were on it um, yesterday. Uh, I guess we did look a little bit sluggish, but I didn't really put that down to um, a lack of effort or endeavour or, or or energy. I just thought that you know for reasons we've already discussed, we were kind of second best in most areas and and we and we were chasing chasing the game almost from the kickoff um i think that it's probably easy to make that accusation after a defeat like that because you know that's one way that you could read what you see on the pitch but i i don't think that there's any any issue with with the players uh energy levels like you said I mean, we've had something like you know, in the last eight games, there's been a goal scored after the 89th minute, or you know, in the 89th minute or beyond in Bournemouth games, and most of those goals have been have been goals we've scored. For some reason, you know, we think <laughs> obviously it's just coincidence, but we seem to just come to life at the end of the game. And it, there was a well, we, we we would briefly uh, look like we might pull off a very unlikely uh, comeback yesterday when Defoe went off um, and Wilson came on, and and Wilson had had the running of 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 Lovren and he was able to get in behind him and we suddenly started to look like you know like a attacking threat for maybe just 10 minutes uh in in the final quarter of the game and that was when we had that chance that, that Gosling just kicked didn't really kick it properly and it went straight at Carriers um and that is 
indicative of how we perhaps didn't get the tactics right or the personnel right. And unfortunately, that's been happening quite a lot this season, the second half of this season, particularly with the forwards. The forwards that come on seem to do a better job than the the forwards that start the game. Um, I don't know why there is, and I'm sure Eddie doesn't know either, because if he did know, he'd start the ones that he think would do the do the yeah. correct job all the way through the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, I think we had enough energy. I just think we weren't able to dominate the ball, dominate the space, uh, in, in order to really come to life apart from that, from that short spell that I mentioned. Yeah. I mean, interesting there to do it for, from a Liverpool perspective, one of the big issues, one of the big topics that come out of this was sort of club's game management, which again was sort of on point. Do you think that? This has been just getting better and better through the season. We seem to be doing uh, a lot better than we previously have in previous seasons against, especially teams outside the top six. Like, you know, if I can, if I can class them as that, we seem to just momentarily, spontaneously almost <laughs> slip up against those teams. We don't seem to be doing it this season. I think only City and United have done better in that respect. What's your opinion on that? Liverpool's game management getting slowly better and better for you? Yeah, I think it's it's something that I personally definitely was crying um, out for at the beginning of the season. And it's not necessarily just a Klopp problem. This has been a Liverpool problem arguably since Rafa left in terms of having players that are capable of, of controlling a game, managing a game. And um, a lot of the time we tend to forget that executing a game plan isn't necessarily just about um, executing it within the first 10 minutes, the first 15 minutes. There are certain instructions that are sort of laid out within, you know, to anticipate stuff that could happen in the 60th minute as, and certain stuff, as Michael was saying, where the Bournemouth is a, is a very, very technically gifted side and they are a side that's very good at playing football and playing football in a positive way in the way that we or most of us like to see football played. So it it would be a bit naive to expect them not to have any sort of spell of of sort of dominance or possession. So it was it was good to see in those situations that Liverpool still had sort of a poise about them. Everyone sort of was calm. They knew what they wanted to do. It's something that we haven't seen a lot of over the 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 past few years but it seems like um it seems like it's something that's been building and building over the season um but i'm still yet to see maybe maybe the 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 last test we sort of need to to take in this is for i'm interested to see how how it would be in a game where either let's say if bournemouth were leading 1-0 going into the 70 70th minute how the Liverpool players would manage that scenario, or or even if it was no no, how would be able to manage those situations? It 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 seems like at Anfield we do tend to be um, looking to blitz teams early on, get the lead, and then control the game from there. But um, I'm yet I'm still, you know, with regards to me, the jury is still out with regards to can we do it um, after you know, let's say the the. Quoting uh, in quotations, Plan A sort of hasn't worked for 70 minutes. Will we still be able to have that patience, have that poise, and still execute it and trust that that it's that it is going to work? But you know, you you play the you play the cards that are that are dealt to you. You you deal with the situations that you have, and we have been fortunate enough to take the lead 
um, relatively early in a lot of our games at Anfield this season. And it's helped to build sort of that confidence. And um, as I said earlier, you have to take into consideration the confidence the players were carrying into this game. Um, I think it's a lot easier to to have um, the nerve to have game management after having the, the last two weeks that we've, we've had. So it, it's something that's building. Um, it's arguably something that's a perfect storm as well because the moment that Virgil van Dijk came in, Andy Robertson has taken that left-back position and made it his own. Um, Gomez got injured, which has allowed TAA to get more minutes at the back there. Um, Matip has gotten injured, which has now allowed um, Lovren and Virgil van Dijk to be that centre-back partnership. So over the past month or so, that center, that that back five, so to speak, if you if you add the keeper into there, hasn't changed much, which has allowed these guys to sort of um, become more familiar with each other, to 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 sort of work out a system of how to defend as a unit, how to manage games as a unit. Our center backs do get a lot of the ball, um, including then whoever would be playing the number six for us. So them having partners in different positions who they're very familiar with does help in being able to manage games. They're not necessarily trying to manage another person's game or trying to second guess what the other person next to them is going to be doing. It allows them to just focus on their part of the game. And I think that's been, that's been benefiting the team quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Yeah, guys, no, thanks so much. Liverpool go marching on. We will see where they can end. Uh, Michael, what's your vision for sort of next season? And, you know, you can see how the money spent on Ake has worked so well. Do you foresee that again? A couple big, big signings in the, in the off season to get Bournemouth to sort of go into that next level? <laughs> um, yeah, we normally sign two or three players that are going to come into the first team squad. So I think that'll probably be the case this time. We could do with another another defender, possibly a right back. Um, the defence is still largely populated by the League One defence that we had. It's amazing that they've gone through the leagues and you know, now hopefully going to be having our fourth season in the Premier League. But all good things come to an end. And uh, one or two of them have looked like they've been struggling a bit this season. Obviously, Ake's been, been fantastic. We had him on loan from Chelsea the season before. I'd be a bit worried, actually, about holding on to him. There hasn't been any talk of him leaving, but I think he's had an outstanding season and I wouldn't be surprised if there was a few clubs who were interested. Um, we probably could also do with another midfielder. Um, we've got a, a really top prospect in Lewis Cook. He's had a really good season since he's come into the team. He's played for England as well now. Um, the others. Uh, Gosling is, works hard, but he's not really got much creative input. And, and Sermon and Arta seem to be seem to be on the way out, unfortunately. Um, and we could probably do with. I mean, Eddie loves to sign a winger as well. He'll, he'll probably be looking around mm-hmm. to sign a winger. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be at all surprised. Um, going back to the defence, I should mention that we've got Tyrone Mings, who's um, a very good player when we can get him on the pitch. Uh, we've had him for uh, three seasons now, I think, and he's only played a handful of games. He's had very bad luck with injuries. Um, but he he's coming back to full fitness now, so hopefully he'll be an option next season as well. In terms of the next level, well, it's difficult to know what the next level is for Bournemouth. I guess the next level is something like the, like the Europa League, be that through 
a kind of Burnley-like season where we finish, you know, seventh and and hope that uh, the teams above us win enough trophies to to get us into Europe, um, or um, by winning the FA Cup, which would be my preferred route into Europe because it would be so <laughs> you know glorious and fantastic for us to mm. do that. Um, yeah, we finished ninth last season. I think this season's felt like more of a struggle, um, and. Every season Eddie Howe's been at the club, we've improved year on year in terms of our, our league position. I'm not sure we're going to manage that this year. Um, I think we'll probably finish just below halfway, which is fine. I mean, to be honest, when the season started, we, we had a bad start to the season. I think we lost something like four out of our first five games. I thought we were in real trouble, but we managed to pull it around and we've cobbled together enough points. Um, I don't really know what comes next. I think that it would be nice to think that we could go on and you know, have a season like Burnley, but those that those things are few and far between. And to break into the top six is, you know, okay. You know, on a really favourable season where everything went our way, it's possible that we could have, a, you know, a finish like that. But it's it's a it's a different league. You know, so it's kind of almost like a division to itself up there, and everybody else is just mm. fighting to 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 do do as best they can from you know seventh down to twentieth. Um, and just to see us in the Premier League, obviously, is still you know, a huge thrill and a huge achievement. But, uh, you know, we do need to find a way that we can kind of target to progress. And uh, I think that Europe has to be that. And even if it was just a kind of a couple of European ties, it'd be a massive step for a club like ours. I mean, this season we've had, as I mentioned, Lewis Cook playing for England. We'd never had a player who was active for Bournemouth represent England before. So every one of these little things which I guess when you support a club like Liverpool <laughs> you barely even notice stuff like that you've obviously got bigger fish to fry with the Champions League and all the rest of it you know for us all those little things are you know feel like massive steps and and and, and long may it continue but I think our biggest challenge uh, and Eddie does always say this every transfer window is holding on to the players we've got players like Lewis Cook and, and Nathan Ake so hopefully they'll stick around and, and, and we can improve the squad and he can get more out of the players that, that he has got um, just one thing quickly. Um, maybe my, Michael can shed some light on something that I had a question on. Um, what yeah, to yeah. Lewis Cook? Because obviously he is one of the really, really coveted um, young players, especially being uh, an English or an English player. You do have to take into account um, your, you know, your English players' quota and British players and stuff like that. So I'm sure he is going to become. Um, quite a coveted player. Uh, Michael, do do you have any news, so to speak, with regards to a new contract for him? Because I'm I'm aware his contract um, expires in 2020, um, and interestingly enough, it's it's a year after because James Milner's contract for Liverpool expires uh, 2019, so end of next season. So if 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 Cook has sort of one year left on his contract, James Milner's coming to the end of his contract. I've heard murmurs with regards to that's going to be sort of not necessarily a James Milner re- replacement in the in the form of the experience that James Milner has and stuff, but sort of the the type of utility midfielder that Klopp was looking for, someone he can mould into different positions. Those timelines seem to be working out quite. Um, is is there any contract renewals, any prospects of that for Lewis Cook? I would have thought so. I haven't heard anything concrete. But clubs are very good at keeping these things quiet until they're actually announced. Um, but I um, imagine Cook and his agent will be 
talking to the club already about improved contract, considering what he's achieved this season. He's a fixture in the first team. He's played for England. You know, there's an outside chance he could go to the World Cup. So they're in a very strong bargaining position. Um, in terms of him going to a bigger club, to yourselves, I think that's also a, a strong possibility. Uh, hopefully uh, not too soon. We'd like to hold on to him for at least another season because um, he's really progressed this year. and he's, he's still only 21, I think. And he looks like he's got, you know, a lot of the tools required to be a, to be a top a top midfielder. Um, so I think the fact also for him, he's he's from Leeds, so a move to a club like Liverpool, it's a massive massive move for him anyway. But also would bring him closer to home, would also make a difference. So I think if any point a club from the northwest was to come in for him and uh, and offer him. Uh, you know, potential to, to further his career. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he went. And I don't think anybody would begrudge him that. Obviously, we'd be disappointed to lose him and we'd like to hold him for as long as possible. Well, that's the problem. Obviously, we've been a club of our sizes. If you are going to be producing prospects like him and bringing everyone's attention to players like Nathan Ake, I mean, he had a few games at Chelsea, but nowhere near the run the team he's had with us, then mm. other clubs are going to sit up and take notice and they're going to think, well, you know, there's easy pickings here. We can put in a big bid and attract them to a bigger club. And that's the way it's always been with football. And, you know, that's one thing that we have to perhaps prepare ourselves for now that, now that we're having the success, the relative success that we are. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good place to end it guys. Thank you so much for uh, your input today. I'm going to let you do some plugs, uh, Michael. Well, as I mentioned, when I was on before December, I've written a book about Harry Redknapp and his, his 15 years at Bournemouth as, as player and manager. The book's uh, coming out um, in about a month's time, 15th of May, I think, is the publication date. So you can pre-order now on, on Amazon and all other you know, various websites and so forth. I'm not sure if that would be of a great deal of interest to your, uh, to, to your listeners, but there might be one or two people out there that would be keen to, keen to read that. So, um, yeah, look out for it. It would be much appreciated if anybody did purchase one of those. That's cool. When that comes out, we'll give that a retweet. That'd be, that'd be really cool, actually. Um, yeah, congrats. Oh, perfect. Cool, cool. So plugs for you today? Yeah, I'll just give my Anfield Index uh, part of the week, so to speak, um, as my plug. And it was the In Focus podcast, um, which had Emma Saunders in it. It was talking, it was talking with regards to what makes a winner and looking at the psyche and the mentality that goes with uh, being a winner with regards to managers and players. Um, it's a very interesting take. Uh, obviously, psychology plays a huge factor. It may not be in the limelight when it comes to players, but it's such a such a big big factor when it comes to um, how you get that competitive edge and stuff like that. So that was quite a good one. Nice, cool. I, I, that actually slipped through my net. I must go back and check that one out. I love Emma. So, uh, yeah, do, do have a look out at that and all the other stuff as well. There's just, just huge content, huge surge of content after the city win and it's just continued, um, through the weekend. So, uh, do keep up with everything. There's still a trial on. So you can, you know, you can try stuff for free. So go have a look at that. There's new iOS app as well. It's just everything's happening. Gag does not sleep. I'm convinced he's a vampire. <laughs> it just works all the time. So, uh, so do have a look at on that. We will be back next week, I think, for West Brom when United and I swap, United and Liverpool swap uh, opponents from this week to see what we can do next week. So we will see you for that. And until then, take care of yourselves. Enjoy. Bye-bye.
Let's get ready to rumble! Y'all ready for this? Podcast Network.